This episode represents the second half of my conversation with Dr. Alan Carlson, where we discuss the near overnight transformation of American attitudes towards contraception at the beginning of the 20th century. The first half of this discussion focused on the decidedly uncontroversial figure of Anthony Comstock, a name that is now associated with prudery, but who at the time of his death in 1915 had the support of Democrats, Republicans, Catholics, Protestant, businesses, and newspapers alike. Fast forward 10 years, and that unity collapses almost in its entirety through the very clever political machinations of one woman, Margaret Sanger. What did she do, and how did she do it, is the topic of today's Quick Answers to Simple Questions podcast. Well, one thing is when uh, Comstock died almost exactly the right year, (laughs) he was at the peak of everything right before all kinds of troubles began to fall. Um, And it's very symbolic that the last thing he tried to do before he died, quite unexpectedly, was to put Margaret Sanger in jail. Did not succeed in that. She she got away. Uh, What was she doing that? uh, She was was publishing uh, birth control pamphlets. Now she had been, and she had had been doing that. She'd set up a, a, a league. Now Margaret Sanger in 1914, 15, 16, 17, 18, was very hard left, even by contemporary standards. She was a socialist, a radical, a strong feminist, a free lover, so to speak. Uh, But then she realized, quite correctly, is that that wasn't going to work. So she changed her tune, and by 1920, uh, she she came to the realization that she was only going to win if she had she could sell an enemy to America. And she decided that the enemy would be the Roman Catholic Church. And what she pulled off was really quite remarkable. All of the Comstock laws, and every state and territory had one, the federal government had one, again, which equated birth control, contraception, and, and, and pornography is the same problem. Um, and found various ways to prohibit it, its sale, distribution, use in some cases. Uh, every state had these laws. All were the product of Protestant pressure, of, of evangelical Protestant enthusiasms. Uh, Singer said, no, that's not true. By 1920, Comstock was dead. Uh, no one had really emerged to replace him among Protestants. Uh, his organizations were being run by much weaker, much more, less organized people. She said the promise was all these laws were the product of the Catholic Church, which was simply a lie, complete lie. And she knew it, but she found that if you say something often enough, constantly often enough, and if it fits the tenor of the times, it will be picked up. So by the early 1920s, she says uh, the problem in America today is the Roman Catholic Church is opposing its moral values, its sexual values on good Protestant Americans. It's Rome, it's the Pope, yeah. uh, it's the archbishops are doing this. We Americans simply want freedom. And it was a very clever move on her part. So she did that. Then the other thing she did, the uh, sort of the hot new science of the early 20th century, particularly after World War I, was eugenics. The idea of controlled breeding of the human race to uh, well, on the positive side, to have happier marriages, you know, have spacing children so you know, mother's not overwhelmed by a whole bunch of children mm-hmm. all at once. Uh, 
happy marriages, happy children, happy husbands. That was what the eugenics movement on the positive side. The negative side was that, well, some people should not be reproducing. Uh, people who have genetic disorders or who are genetically criminal. Uh, that there's, there, there were uh, celebrated cases of families that uh, produced generation after generation of corrupt, decadent, immoral people. Um, those people should not be allowed to reproduce, uh, even to the point of forced sterilizations and things like that. So that's the dark side of eugenics, uh, the real dark parts, aspects of which would not really come out until the 1930s and early 1940s under the, uh, the, the German Nazi eugenics programs. Right. But no, oh, that wasn't seen at the beginning. So Mark? Well, well, let me ask you about a question there about, about the eugenics movement. My, um, you had an article in Touchstone on, uh, on Margaret Sanger uh, called Sanger's Victory, <clears throat> How Planned Parenthood, How Planned Parenthood's founder played the Christians and won. Um, was there, in reading this article, I, I, I didn't, it, it's, eugenics seems like was something that almost everybody was on board with, even in the, even in the church. Is that correct? Yes. And prior to 1930, there was no prominent formal Christian opposition to eugenics. Again, how about in the Catholic church? Not even in the Catholic church, astonishingly enough. Uh, John Ryan, the great Catholic social ethicist at Catholic University of America, was even a member of the uh, Religious Advisors Board of the American Eugenics Society in the 1920s. What the first formal condemnation of eugenics came uh, from Pius the, Pope Pius XI, but not until 1930. Uh, so prior to that time, it was, well, sure, happy marriages, happy families. Uh, no one, the, the, the I would say that the pastors and the theologians didn't understand what was really in this package. So was was birth control um, at the time that Margaret Sanger's trying to popularize it, again, would come right off the heels of the Anthony Comstock era, when people did not want birth control. Uh, they didn't want it sold in their communities. They may have been using it, but it's not something that they thought was morally correct. Uh, they, this is, is using sex strictly for pleasure. One of, somebody you quote in your article said uh, that it turns wives into mere prostitutes. They're sexual toys for our pleasure, and, th and that's about it. Um, and yet, uh, 15 years later, after Comstock's death, the Anglican Communion approves the use of birth control. How significant was eugenics so in other words, eugenics puts a moral um, cover to say actually this is a morally good thing. Is that a fair way to, sit, to talk about the transition? It was part of it, and part of what Sanger did is she first of all, as I said, turned Roman Catholicism into the enemy, and then uh, convinced and promoted the uh, use of eugenics ideas within the Protestant church, and again, very effectively. The American Eugenics Society became our ally in this, and they spent most of their money in the 1920s to promote eugenics among Christians. Uh, a big part of their budget was the annual uh, contest, the Best Eugenics <clears throat> Sermon Contest. Hundreds of pastors wow. would submit their eugenics sermons. Well, what was a eugenics sermon? Well, it was things like Jesus, the refiner of men. Um, the old idea that the second coming would uh, 
be the result of human endeavor to purge the world of bad things. And when we finally finish that, Jesus would come down, the second coming would happen. He would say, well done, good and faithful servants. I'm here to rule now. And part of the, the eugenics thing was we're going to clean up the human race so that when Jesus comes, we'll just be good, pure people, not uh, no, right. no, no handicapped people, no, no uh, retarded people, no bad people, only beautiful, nice, wholesome people. Uh, now, that sounds weird and unchristian, but at the time, it was hugely popular. And, and again, she, she, she tied these two things together with the third theme of freedom. Freedom from the Roman Catholic Church, from its attempts to impose strange Roman values on good Americans. Did, 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 did Sanger have any uh, uh, Christian foundation? Was she? she uh, oh, absolutely not. She was raised an atheist. Her father was an extreme formal atheist. She was raised to hate Christianity, and particularly to hate the Roman Catholic Church. Yeah, so Sanger come along and she's preaching eugenics, which is very popular generally. The idea we're going to have a, a perfect people going forward. She uh, builds up resentment against the Catholic Church, um, saying that this church wants to control you politically. Um, and sexually and personally. And they did to a certain extent. Now, this is where I, this is a question I have for you was... Um, uh, in your article, here's, here's Sanger talking. She says, All who resent this sinister, sinister church control of life and conduct must now choose between church control and birth control. Neutrality is not a choice. You must make a declaration of independence, of self-reliance, or submit to the dictatorship of Roman Catholic hierarchy, a dictatorship of celibates. That's, end quote, that's Margaret Sanger talking. And then you say, but then, in subsequent years, certain Catholic organizations would apply economic or political pressure to suppress birth control meetings. It seems to me they played right into her hand. What She must have loved it. Oh, she did. In fact, yeah, there's several celebrated things. There was an attempt in 1920, she organized a birth control conference in New York City, the first one. And in fact, the police, the New York police showed up to shut it down. Now, is that called the town hall incident? The town hall incident, that's right. And uh, now that, there's nothing new in this. Anthony Comstock had the police power to shut down meetings like this before and did it all the time. This never would have been allowed under Comstock's reign. And again, Comstock was an evangelical Protestant. Uh, but the, this time, the Catholic Church handled the situation very badly. The bishop got involved. It looked as though the bishop was manipulating the police. Again, under the old Comstock regime, all this would have just been completely normal. But now it was starting, it was breaking down. And in some ways, the Catholic problem was they, they were not as confident. They were not as sure-footed as Comstock was, partly because they did not have the support at this point now of the Protestant elites who were becoming suspicious of yeah. the Catholics. And, and, and to what extent was Sanger a, uh, can she claim credit for this breakdown of, of, of harmony really between Catholics and the Protestants? I think she was in the United States certainly the probably the major person, the major individual who pulled that off. And she said she was going to do it, and she did it, and it worked really well. I mean, that suspicion carried through right up to the Kennedy's election. Re very much so. 
and in some ways even beyond. Uh, uh, even to this day, you still see uh, a view of the Roman Catholic Church as meddling in, in American freedoms, yeah. as meddling in, uh, 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 in American politics. Well, that's true. They have tried that. They just the difference is they they they've done it more haphazardly than the Protestants did back when the Protestants were running things. In closing, I'm reminded that during the 2016 presidential campaign, Hillary Clinton was asked about Margaret Sanger's strong support for eugenics. Secretary Clinton distanced herself from those opinions but said she celebrates Sanger for her other achievements. It is important to point out that one of those achievements was not abortion. Even though birth control laid the foundation for the abortion movement that would come much later, Sanger opposed abortion as a threat to her eugenic dreams. If you would like to learn more about Margaret Sanger and the beginnings of the American birth control movement, we invite you to read Alan Carlson's article on this topic at our website. The article is entitled, Sanger's Victory, How Planned Parenthood's Founder Played the Christians and Won.